Welcome to the sermon podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at FCCWarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com. Well, it's good to be back here with you this morning. Kim and I enjoyed a little anniversary time last weekend, and I want to give a big thanks to my father-in-law, Glenn Krause, for speaking last Sunday. Excellent job. If you've not had an opportunity yet to watch his message online, please do. It was fantastic, and uh, I'm really looking forward to you being able to see that if you haven't so far. Well, over the summer, we began uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible, Jesus' famous sermon, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Bible. We finished up chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, and today we're going to launch into chapter 6. This whole next series, Forget Me, for the next five weeks is all going to come from Matthew chapter 6. And if you have your Bible or your phone available, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me, that's where we're going to be this morning. As a quick review, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking about what the world looks like when up there comes down here and people that are part of the kingdom, well, they are salt and they are light. They enact a change on society because the kingdom of God is living within them and they follow Jesus with their lives and the Holy Spirit's consumed them with their lives. Their righteousness and their goodness are things that deeply impact society. And Jesus gave a lot of examples of how those kinds of things would affect our relationships with other people. That was all Matthew chapter 5. That was our last series, Fake News. We went through all those things. So now in Matthew chapter 6, the focus shifts just a little bit, still zeroing in on what the righteousness or the goodness of a kingdom person is going to look like. But now Jesus gets at the issue of motives. Like, why do you do good things? Why would you want to be righteous? Who is our audience? So let's take a look at the first verse of Matthew chapter 6, because this is where it shifts a little bit and how we're going to start this new series here today. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the condition that Jesus addresses here might be something that we would call approval addiction. Approval addiction, living in bondage to what other people think of me and living my life in such a way that it's a performance for others. I once asked a counselor friend of mine who has a very large clientele, like, what's the main issue that you talk to people about in your office? Like, what's the main thing that you're helping people with? And he said to me, Matthew, if I could wave a magic wand and I could help people to stop focusing so much on what other people think of them, the world would be a much happier place. That's what my counselor friend told me anyway. Now, a major problem with approval addiction is that no matter how much approval we get, it's like never enough. A couple of weeks ago, I watched this documentary, a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. I don't know if any of you have seen that yet or not. If you are a regular user of Facebook or if you have a preteen or a teen in your household, I would highly recommend that you watch The Social Dilemma, and it's all about what social media has done to society. But one of the things that I thought was so interesting in that movie was how they were talking about how social media can almost be like an approval dispenser. 
and you can get addicted to it. And there's actually a release of dopamine that they've proven that happens when you get a like or when you get positive feedback on something you, you post, such as an image of yourself. Very, very interesting that that's something that they're showing can become addictive. Well, out of curiosity, this past week, I did a, a simple Google search on how many videos are there on YouTube about how to take the perfect selfie, all right? I'll show you my, my search. I took a, a screen capture here in a second. I'll show you a picture of it. But before I do that, what would your guess be? How many videos are on YouTube? Oh, did you already show it? 64 and a half million. Yeah, go ahead and show it again. <laughs> Great guess, Jack. Great guess. Yeah, there's 64. Isn't that something? 64 and a half million videos on YouTube, at least my search anyway, just youtube.com, how many hits that would get. 64 and a half million, how to take the perfect selfie. That says something about our culture, does it not? So when Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, let's read this verse out loud together here as it comes on the screen. Let's read it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when Jesus says that, his words still carry a lot of weight for us today because there's a part of us that really does like to be seen, a part of us that really likes to be noticed, a part of us that really wants to be approved of. So the question really isn't, will I seek approval? The question is more, where will I seek it? I have a big need for approval. You do as well. You, like, that's part of being human. And the good news is that God has an infinite supply. Only God does. And Jesus says those in his kingdom will live to please God. God will be their primary audience. God will be the one that approves of them because people in the kingdom are his children, his sons and his daughters. And when we discover the freedom of taking ourselves out of the equation and the joy of living for an audience of one, and we're going to keep coming back to this again and again in this series over the next few weeks. What we do is we set ourselves aside and we forget me. We forget that little word, me. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus illustrates a handful of examples of what it looks like to forget me. And the first one goes like this. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6 again here, picking up at verse 2. So, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So in these three verses, Jesus exposes three possibilities of things that could be going on inside our hearts when we do something like give to people in need. So let's take a look at these three things here for just a moment. Why are we giving? Well, one possibility Jesus exposes, could it be for the praise of others? Those in Jesus' crowd, as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, they would have been familiar with the commandments of the Old Testament. Things like Deuteronomy 15, 11, where God says, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers, toward the poor and needy in your land. 
So they would have known that was a command in the Bible. And religious people in Jesus' day, they knew that law. But for, for some of them, when they obeyed it, it got turned into a show. That's why Jesus said, verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by others. Now, this is an example here of a place in the Bible where I think we could genuinely say that people in Jesus' day would have thought he was pretty funny. Like, Jesus was a fairly humorous guy. Because the, the picture he's painting, like when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure that line, don't announce it with trumpets, got some chuckles. Because he's like stating it like that's how ostentatious some people are trying to be. It's almost as if they're blowing a trumpet, right? So Jesus paints this funny picture like somebody stands up and plays reveille, you know? And well, here, like this video right here. Imagine this is a person getting ready to give. Yeah. So here I am. I brought my gift. I got my trumpet. Everybody noticed? I mean, that, that's Jesus' funny line. That's what he's saying. It's almost as if somebody shows up, they play Reveille, here's my gift. Everybody notice. Ridiculous, right? But he's kind of pointing out some of the religious leaders in his day who acted pretty similar to that. The, the Pharisees, Jesus pointed out in John 12, 43, he said, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says about them, everything they do is for show. They enjoy the attention they get on the streets and they enjoy being called rabbi. So their religious acts, including giving to the poor, were all a big show. And Jesus uses a pretty strong word to describe them. He says they're hypocrites. Hypocrites. The origin of that word hypocrite comes from the, the Greek theater. In classical Greek, an actor was called a hypocrite. That was the word for them. And so Jesus is saying some folks, when they give, it's almost like they're actors getting up on a stage. And they want everybody to notice what they do. And at the end of the performance, what are they hoping will happen? What are they hoping? Right? Because they just put on a really great show for others to see. And Jesus says, people who give like this, well, they, they've already received their reward in full. All the reward that they're going to get out of their generosity is human applause. Now, today, we might not employ a troop of trumpeters, but I think it's possible maybe sometimes we still like to toot our own horns. It can be an ego boost if we see our name listed as a primary donor for some kind of cause, maybe at a fundraising banquet or something like that. It's kind of cool if we get our name on a plaque at the hospital or the community center or at the school because of our generosity. And so maybe we face some similar temptations to what people did in Jesus' day, drawing attention to our generosity so that we can be praised by people. I remember a time when I got a lesson in this. It was back when I was 14 years old. So I, I was in 4-H as a kid. I grew up on a farm. And so uh, I took one of my pigs to the Illinois State Fair. I grew up in Illinois. And in 1982, my pig was the champion market hog at the Illinois State Fair for the entire 4-H show. It was really cool. Um, the pig got to go into the governor's auction. So I got to, you know, stand with him in this little ring and in front of a crowd. And there were some bidders and at the sale of champions. And so my animal sold in that sale of champions. People were very, very generous. The person who bought my animal 
had an Amish-themed tourist attraction in central Illinois. So that's who bought it. Now, generally, the purchaser of the champion pig would have the pig butchered, and then the meat would be auctioned off at a fundraiser. But since this guy owned a theme park, he wanted to put my pig on display as one of the attractions at his place. So my dad very graciously said to me, hey, Matthew, why don't you donate one of your other pigs to the auction? Okay, so fine. So I gave away another pig that got butchered. So we show up for this fundraiser at the governor's mansion in Springfield, Illinois. It was a fundraiser for University of Illinois Athletics. I loved U of I Athletics, so I thought this was pretty cool. We got a fancy dinner in the governor's mansion, and after that, we got escorted down to the ballroom where the auction was going to take place. But as I was walking to the ballroom, a gentleman pulled my dad and I aside, and he said, you know, it's customary that the exhibitor of the champion hog buys the highest-priced cut of meat during the auction. Oh, really? Yeah, that's usually what happens. So the auction begins. First piece of meat, it's a ham. Bidding starts at $100. Somebody bids $100. My dad elbows me. $150 is my bid. Somebody bids $200. My dad elbows me again. My bid's $250. On it goes. $300, $400, $500, $600, $700, $750. My dad elbows me again. $800. Gavel goes down. I'm the proud owner of an $800 piece of meat off a pig I donated, right? <laughs> oh, they announced that it's Matthew Rogers of Emden, Illinois, who buys this. Everybody's applauding. People are patting me on the back. One of the University of Illinois cheerleaders in uniform comes over, gives me a big, giant kiss. Lou Henson, who's the basketball coach at that time for the University of Illinois, comes over and shakes my hand. It was all really cool, but that was my reward. I received my reward in full in that moment, other than, I guess, maybe the digital Fighting Illini desk clock that I received in the mail and the Fighting Illini bumper sticker that I got about a month later. But other than that, in that moment, all I received, my reward, was the applause, the kiss on the cheek, the pat on the back, and, and, the, and the handshake. I'd received my reward in full. Why? Well, it was just for a show. Somebody told me I needed to do that, so I did it. I loved University of Illinois Athletics, just not to the tune of an $800 piece of meat, right? Now, some of you may want to know, was that ham any good? Was it worth it when you ate it? I don't know. I never got to eat it. My dad said after it sold, sell it again. So they sold it again. We never even got to take it home. So that's my story of my $800 piece of meat, and I'm sticking to it. So anyway, when we give for show, what reward really do we get? Well, we get people's approval. You asked for it, you got it, right? Jesus says, if that's what you wanted, if you wanted people to notice, they did. You got a pat on the back for it. That's really all that you get as a result of that. So that's maybe motive number one for the praise of others. And Jesus exposes a second one. Uh, could it be that maybe when we give, we're doing it just so that we can quietly congratulate ourselves? It's possible to take deliberate steps toward keeping our giving a secret from others, all the while gloating in a very self-satisfied fashion over how generous that we felt that we were. So that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Giving, the way Jesus is describing it here to people in need, it's a real activity. It's a very important thing for real people with real needs. And yes, it's possible, Jesus is saying here, to turn an act of mercy 
into an act of vanity so that our principal motive is not for the people themselves to be helped, but rather for our own ego to be fed. It's horrible to do this for somebody in need. Giving's all about love, and when the purpose of our giving um, is something that we're serving it in a way not so that other people are being loved, but that we're caring about ourselves more, that's really a pretty horrible thing. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, man, as much as you can, keep your, your giving even a secret from yourself. Really? How do you do that? Well, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because, because it's very possible if the left hand sees what the right hand is doing, the right hand gives, the left hand comes over and wants to go, you know, way to go. And inside we're thinking, wow, look what you just gave. Man, none, none of your friends are giving to that level. None of them are that generous. You know, God's pretty lucky to have somebody like you on his team so that people can be taken care of like that and so that his work can get done. And a self-congratulatory giver thinks, you know, I'm just better. I'm more generous than other people. It's a pretty arrogant claim, wouldn't you think? So that's why Jesus is saying, in a sense here, when you give, just be over and, and done with it. Christian giving is marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When something becomes so deeply habitual in us, we really do it almost without thinking. Sort of like tying our shoes. You know, when I was a kid, one of the prerequisites for me to get ready to go to kindergarten was to be able to tie my own shoes. We didn't have these Velcro things back in the 1970s. You know, that would have been fun, right? And you're done with your shoes. No, we had to learn how to tie them. Oh, I had a horrible time learning how to tie my shoes. And I was so afraid they weren't going to let me into kindergarten, right? I couldn't get it. I just could not get it. True story. The bus is pulling up to my house on the first, the school bus is pulling up to my house on the first day of kindergarten. And I tied my shoe for the very first time as the bus is pulling up to my house. I was so proud. I wanted to blow a trumpet, right? You know, <laughs> I was so proud of that moment. But now, I can tie a shoe without even thinking about it. I have, I have shoelaces on these shoes here this morning, and I, I was thinking about that while I was tying them this morning. If somebody asked me, how do you do it? I'd have a really hard time explaining it. Well, I kind of put one lace under the other, and I kind of make a loop with my right hand, and I, I think I circle it with my left hand and with something, and I pull it through, but I don't know. I'd have a really hard time explaining it. Here's a challenge. I tried this this last week. Try this. Go home and tie your shoes having your left hand do what your right hand normally does. Try that. I tried it this last week. It was awful. Like when it comes to shoe tying, my left hand literally does not know what my right hand is doing. And I, I think that's Jesus's point here with giving as well. Let your generosity be as habitual as tying your shoes. Let it become such a habit that your, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Of course, we're bound to know how much we give away. You can't literally keep that from yourself. But the point Jesus is making is eventually you'll be so generous, you'll stop thinking about how wonderful you are. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. Like, you'll just do it and you'll stop patting yourself on the back because it's just reflexive. It's just in you. It's just who you are. Well, there's one other possibility for what's going on in our hearts when we give, according to Jesus. And this last one here is what Jesus hopes we're doing. 
When we give, are we doing it for God's approval alone? Our giving is not to be before people waiting for their clapping to begin, or even really before ourselves with the left hand applauding the right, so to speak, but before God. We can't keep anything a secret from God, and obviously we can't keep our our giving a secret from him. So Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 3 and 4, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus wants us to know we're, we're not like actors on a stage playing a part when we're generous. True Jesus followers live out their lives of faith authentically just before an audience of one. God's the, God's the one that they care about and his approval and his approval alone. They're concerned with pleasing him. So that's how a kingdom person models up there coming down here. They live for this audience of one, God's approval alone. So when we give, it's like we're saying, God, this is for your eyes only. You're the only one who gets to see this. And Jesus says, when you give that way in secret, God will reward you. Now, this is an important thing to know. God isn't going to reward you with eternal salvation just because you gave. That's, that's really clear all throughout the New Testament. That salvation or being a saved person comes from accepting what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection and having a new life, Jesus resurrecting you and making you somebody new because of your faith in him by his grace. I mean, that, that's salvation. Giving doesn't make you a saved person. So what's the reward here? When he says, when you give in secret, your father will reward you. Well, if you're giving for others to see, all you get is the pat on the back or the applause. If you're giving to congratulate yourself, the only reward you're really giving is feeling self-satisfied. But when you give for the audience of one, the reward is you become more like Jesus. You have a closer walk with God. You sense his approval on your life. You, you grow in your maturity of what it means to be a salt and light person here. That's the reward. You already have the reward of salvation, but the, the reward of giving in such a fashion is just keep growing and growing to be more like Jesus, and you have a closer walk with him where daily you know that you and he are super tight and super close. So we all need to be at the place where anything that we do that's righteous or good, so to speak, is for God's approval and God's eyes only. So when it comes to giving, let's wrap up with this. How can I tell if my motives are right? Super quick, three things here that we can draw as applications from Jesus. One, if my motives are right, I'll give spontaneously. That means when I hear of a need, my heart will be prompted to give and I'll just do it. 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So certainly we need to calculate, can I make a gift right now with where I am with my finances and how God has blessed me with what I have? But with the right motives and the heart that's in the right place, just give, be over and done with it. And that's why Acts 4.34 says about the early Christians, there were no needy persons among them because apparently people were just generous and giving spontaneously as needs was, would, arrive, would arise. So that's one way we can tell if our motives are right. We'll just give spontaneously because it's, it's in our heart to just do so. The second way we can know our motives are right, I'll, I'll give secretly. This means I'll find some ways to do this anonymously. Is there somebody maybe you could surprise this week that you know has a need in some way? 
And it may, it may not be a monetary need. Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a need for some kind of help or assistance that you can provide or a nice thing that you could do for them. But doing it secretly shows that we're following Jesus' example with the right motives. Because it's definitely not for show and it's out of a heart that cares. And third, if I have the right motives, I'm definitely going to give with no thought of reward. Because giving or any kind of assistance to somebody else Serving them is always an issue of love. If I'm thinking that God will love me more, if I'm thinking that I'm securing a place in heaven by doing these things, if I'm thinking of wanting the recognition from somebody here on earth, that's still not showing the the kind of kingdom heart that Jesus is talking about here. Before we give, maybe we should ask this question. Would I still do this if nobody ever found out I did it? Would I still do it even if nobody ever found out I did it? With no thought of reward, nothing needed to come back my way. So, isn't it great that when you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to go through your life impressing other people? Sometimes it may seem like in life, we're almost like on this stage. Like especially when it comes to getting a job and and earning a living and and making our our way in the world. Like, would would you notice me? Would you you see what I'm doing? Would would you place value on me? Would would you love me? Would you accept me? Would you approve of me? And what Jesus is saying here for us, it's so important, friends, is that God has this infinite supply of approval. And God's like, you know what? I do notice you. I love you. In fact, I noticed you even before you were born. I can't take my eyes off you because I'm crazy about you. I absolutely approve of you. That's why I sent my son Jesus to die in your place. I find great value and great worth in you. And I want you to be with me forever and ever. So would you please make sure, God is saying, that you are with me forever and ever by getting your life right with me through the work that Jesus did on your behalf when he died for your sins and he completely forgave you. That's God's hope. He does approve of you. He does love you. He does value you. He does notice you. No need to have to be a performer on our stage anywhere else for anybody else to see. Jesus takes us from a place of exhibitionism to a place of freedom and joy. So as we worship today, um, God's invitation to you is just come home to me. I always love you. I always approve of you. Always notice you. And you don't have to earn it. What I'm giving you through Jesus is an opportunity to be free of all that. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We invite you to join us for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at fccwarsaw.com for more details and information. Again, that's fccwarsaw.com.